I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. Kids are dismissed to children's church. They're going to have a lot of fun. Thank you to everyone who helps lead children's church. As we come before our shepherd today, as we come before our king, we open the scripture and we reflect on these words. So I invite you that if you brought your Bibles this morning, you can open it and read along with me. We're going to be reading from the 95th Psalm. So I'll give you a minute here if you want to grab your scripture and read along. It'll also be on the screen behind me. I like reading out of my own Bible, but however you like, you can read it on your phone or read it here on the screen. All of those are good. So this is Psalm 95. Let's read it together. It says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks that belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. Will your ancestors, they tested me, they tried me though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said they were a people whose hearts go astray. They've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Father, would you bless the reading of this scripture? Would this reflect, Lord Jesus, and drive our hearts back to you being our shepherd, you giving us life, Lord Jesus, you giving us rest, you being the creator of all things, and us finding life in you. Please bless, Lord Jesus, the preaching of your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. That's bright. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you, and it's good to be here. 
Thank you, Rachel and team, for leading us in worship. I really appreciated that. And I'd love to see those little young ones come down the aisle here just entering in. That was, that was really good. I thought I could wear a tie this morning because I thought if Michael Orthner can wear a tie coming up here, I can too. I also remember Ken Epp. Ken was an influence in my life years back when, uh, when I went to uh, Camp Evergreen in Alberta. And he was there. He was a funny guy. He could play the piano like crazy. And I really liked the guy. So I just want to share that with uh, Jack and uh, thought, I, thought I might say that. We've been following your services for the better part of a year, online and also in person, and have enjoyed our journey through John with you. We've also met some of you and look forward to getting to know and and meet some the rest of you. You know, it's really good to see the, the Miller people here too. Uh, this is very important and formative time of life. Uh, and I even remember, uh, I met a couple of them a couple Sundays ago, and their names were Matthew and Matthew. So, I have a very good memory. <laughs> the last time I was speaking to you, I was up here uh, representing MCC and what they were doing around the world. But today, I want to talk to you about the abundant life. We are up to John 10, and I'd like to read the first 10 verses. There we are. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but he did not understand. They did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. 
Carol and I had the privilege of visiting the country of Israel about four years ago. This picture is taken about near the border of Israel, Lebanon, and Syria, just north of the Sea of Galilee. I guess they would call it up on the Golan Heights. One can see for miles here. The topography is much different from here in Saskatchewan. Even though there is intensive agriculture, I can see how much of the land is rather suited to sheep grazing. We understood how stoning could be how stoning could be an option for killing someone. There were rocks everywhere. Even though I don't have a picture of shepherds in the fields, we saw them. Around Bethlehem, in the Palestinian region, we saw where the shepherds could have been keeping their flocks when Jesus was born. In much of the region, the hills are steep and rugged, and the grass very sparse and limited. Sometimes it looks as if there's no vegetation. There was a real need to keep moving the flocks over vast regions to give them enough to eat. This, in Bible times, was the job of the shepherd, who would carry a staff or a scrip, a bag in which he carried his food, and a sling as a weapon of offense and defense. Remember David's sling? And he was good at using it. He brought down that big giant Goliath. The armies of Israel used them as well. I had never seen this verse before, even though I'd read through the Bible several times. Judges 20, verse 16 says, There were chosen 700 left-handed men, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And that was an H-A-I-R. Wild animals or robbers could steal the sheep, and a person needed to be alert. The sling could also be used to get the attention of the sheep. Come on, hurry up. We're about out of grass here, and we need to move on. Now, in the Old Testament, God is often pictured as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the most common from Psalm 23. You led your people like a flock, Psalm 77, 20. We, the people, the flock of thy pasture, will give thanks to thee forever, Psalm 79, 13. And then the one that Darren just read, Psalm 95, 7. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And there are many more references. Now in the New Testament, the same picture continues. Jesus is the good shepherd who will risk his life to seek and to save that one straying sheep from Matthew 18. In 1 Peter 2.25, he is the shepherd of the souls of people. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In the village, sheep were kept in a common pen with an actual door that a person in charge would unlock in the mornings and the shepherd would call out his flock. It says by name, like brown leg or black ear, or then he would take his flock out to pasture. It reminds me of God in Isaiah 43, who says of us, I have called you by name. 
you are mine. Leona, Elvina, Tim, you are mine. Bill and Connie, Harold, you are mine. Renee. The shepherd's life lights up the picture of a good shepherd whose sheep hear his voice and whose care is for the flock. Then out in the fields, when the shepherd and the flock are far from town at night, the sheep would enter the fold, an open space surrounded by a wall, maybe a stone wall. Here the shepherd would place his rod across the entrance and each sheep would pass under it and the shepherd could examine it for injury. Then the shepherd would lie across the opening during the night and literally be the door. No sheep could get in or out except over his body. Verse 6 says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. People, get the connection. I'm not telling you how to raise sheep. I'm telling you what God is like. That's what Jesus was saying when he said, I am the door, or I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 7, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and out and find pasture. Coming in and going out is a Jewish way of describing a life that is absolutely safe and secure. When there's an enemy at the city walls, the gates are closed. It would be foolish to try to go in or out. When all is well, you're free to come in and go out. Your children don't knock at the door of your house. They go in and out freely. Once a person discovers through Jesus Christ what God is like, a new sense of safety and security enters into life. No need to worry. No need to fear. Through him, said Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 18, We have access to the Father. Jesus opens the way to God. Jesus came to show what God was like. Not someone to be afraid of, but someone to love and trust. Someone who can lead a person to find what they're really looking for. So, what are people really looking for? I'm going to try and attempt to develop that point later. In verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He is contrasting his purpose with that of those who wanted to bring in a golden age by way of insurrection. They had a political agenda to bring utopia to the current situation. But political utopia can never be achieved. In a Jordan B. Peterson podcast... He quotes Dostoevsky in Notes from the Underground, launching a criticism of the notion of a political utopia. If you gave people everything they wanted, they had only cake to eat, and sat in warm pools, and they would busy themselves with the continuation of the species, the first thing they would do, maybe after the first week, they would go half insane and simply smash everything just so they'd have something to do. He continues, the utopian notion that if you had all the material stuff you wanted, what would you be? What would you do? 
sit on the couch, watch TV, you might start cutting yourself just for entertainment. No, utopia will not give us meaning and satisfaction. It's simply untenable in this life. The only real utopia is heaven. Jesus wasn't referring to the prophets and heroes when he mentions thieves, but to adventurers who, as William Barclay says, were continually arising in in, uh, Palestine and promising that if people would follow them, they would bring in the golden age. They believed that men would have to wade through blood to the golden age. Josephus speaks of there being 10,000 disorders in Judea, tumults caused by men of war. He speaks of men like the zealots who didn't mind dying themselves or slaughtering their own loved ones if their hopes of conquest could be achieved. Jesus, on the other hand, is saying, there have been men who claimed that they were leaders sent to you from God. They believed in war, murder, assassination. Their their way leads farther and farther away from God. My way is the way of, of life and love. And if you'll only take it, it leads ever closer and closer to God. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. That's in verse 10. This is a new way. It is God's way to abundance. So what is the abundant life? I'll start by telling you what I think it's not. When I was entering Bible school years ago, I remember thinking, I like a good time. I like fun. It was my goal to be happy, to enjoy friends, to have things. And I have or have had many of the things that a person could want. But over the years, I've learned that aiming at fun, at happiness, is a lousy personal goal. This doesn't bring true happiness. True happiness is not something you get by aiming at it. Jacqueline Andrews, writing in The Western Producer, says, Happiness is the byproduct of any number of personal challenges confronting the path on life's journey. I'll just say that again. Happiness is the byproduct of any number of personal challenges confronting the path on life's journey. And I add that it's a byproduct of obedience to God. True happiness is a byproduct of obedience to God. We must have some some sense that we are contributing to the well-being of someone besides ourselves. And it's something spiritual, maybe even philosophical. Could it be that abundance is true happiness or joy or fulfillment? then how does one get this abundance? Peterson suggests that you always have one foot of yourself in what is the unknown, uh, in the known, in your experience, and the other foot in the unknown or the possible. And to be truly alive, you have to be pushing from one to the other. That's where you find meaning. If you're living only in the known, 
life is too secure and boring. If you're living in the unknown, it's too confusing. You want to be in both. In the unknown enough so that you keep updating yourself constantly. And I know this is a problem for us older people. It's tough to be learning new things and thinking new thoughts. Just ask our son, Michael. He will tell you it's hard to teach me new things on the computer. I could hardly get that PowerPoint on a stick. Or to understand some of his philosophic ideas. In learning to be a teacher, they taught us to teach from the known to the unknown. Then, too, we need a purpose or an aim. Aims like graduating from high school, graduating from Bible school or university or technical school, or getting a job, advancing in it, looking after your children or grandchildren, or retiring or volunteering. Aims like serving your fellow human, your community, or sharing your relationship with God. Again, Peterson says, we need to know where we're going, what we're doing, and why. And when we attain something, the game kind of stops, and we need to choose another aim, especially retirement. You don't stop there. The journey is the reward, not the destination. And the nobler the aim, the better the life. If you don't have a noble aim, then you have nothing but shallow, trivial pleasures, and they don't sustain you. And that's not good, because life is difficult. There's so much suffering, and it's so complex. This brings us back to the abundant life. Let me share some more of my personal reflections. I may have mentioned this before, when we retired from farming two years ago, our family donated the use of 125 acres of cropland to Grow Hope, a program of MCC and the Canadian Food Gains Bank, something that Rick Block referred to when he was here recently. For those of you unfamiliar with Grow Hope, it's a joint venture of farmers and urban, ur, urban people who help end world hunger. People like you donate a suggested $300 an acre or a part or a multiple, for inputs to grow a crop. Neighbors help seed and spray and harvest. The crop is sold and the Canadian government matches these funds up to four to one. Food is then distributed in the receiving country in areas of drought or turmoil. Often food is traded for work to improve people's own ability to secure food or for their own food sustainability. Some of you may have witnessed or participated in these harvests, and I know some of you have donated. We are so grateful. Over the past two years, with the donations, this land has contributed over $100,000 to Canadian Food Grains Bank, and with the matching government grants, that comes to close to half a million. We praise God for that. Some of you are also contributing to other Canadian Food Grain Bank's pro, uh, Bank projects in this area. And this is wonderful. You are sharing of your abundance. Now, having done some traveling, I've seen need in various areas of the world. 
We are so fortunate to have what we have, and to share with the world is one way to show our gratitude to God. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. That's our motivation. Randy Friesen, formerly of Multiply or MB Mission, puts it this way, The fruit of walking with God and his revelation is not just for our benefit. It's meant to bless our community, our nation, and the nations of the world. We have been blessed to be a blessing. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Abundance is not a quantity, but a quality of life. Pastor Marvin Seaborg, writing in the Herbert Herald, says, Abundance is that quality of life that lets us get in touch with the deepest part of ourselves. It connects us with the divine, with the holy, and with what's good, true, and beautiful in this world. It's not so much about getting something we don't have, but living more fully into what is already present. So that abundance is love that leads to love, It's joy that leads to joy. It's peace that leads to peace. And it's kindness that leads to kindness. It's stepping more deeply and more fully into your own life and into the life of another. It never adds to the pain of the world. Abundance is Jesus' way of being in this world. It is the presence of God lived through your life and my life. How have I tried to step more deeply into my own life? By taking care of my body, eating more fresh vegetables, walking at least two miles a day, and cycling four when the weather permits. By reading scripture and learning to know God and myself better. By reading good books and taking some online courses through CMU by learning not to be so hard on myself, by starting cello lessons when the choir was unable to practice, by being virtuous or imitating God and his character, by joining a life group here at Bridgeway. How have I tried stepping into the life of another? God has been teaching me about abundance. I have found the greatest abundance when working with youth counseling at youth camp in years past, serving in the church or community, volunteering or building at West Bank Bible Camp, in voluntary service with MCC in the hills and hollers of Kentucky, serving on the board of MCC or participating in Grow Hope. It's building doors and windows for the dorm at the Matthew Training Center near Guadalajara in Mexico where the Goddards were. And I'm sure there's real abundance for people like Mandy and Jana and Becky serving at the youth center. For many of you, it's sewing blankets that I saw distributed in North Korea and the Ukraine, where the people will be needing them now more than ever. It's volunteering at the thrift stores. It's any of you serving in any number of ways, including praying for people. My mother, in a week, will be 98. 
She recently almost died of COVID. We thought she was going to, and then she pulled through. She said, I hope you're not disappointed. <laughs> and, I, and then she said, I, I guess there's still a purpose for me. She prays for her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, the church leaders, the missionaries, and others. One of MCC's strategic directions is to increase the capacity of the church and other partners as they support and equip vulnerable people, especially people who have been uprooted and displaced. Our family, together with two other families originating in Main Center, is involved in bringing a refugee family here to Canada from Iran. This family converted to Christianity from Islam and had to flee the country when their secret place of worship was compromised. Their lives are now on hold in Indonesia. We have the funding in place and the ca in cash and pledges, and now we're waiting for government clearance in Singapore. This adventure, too, brings me great joy. And I've been totally amazed at how generous people are. Some of you are huge supporters of this, and we're so very thankful. You are experiencing abundance. Back to Grow Hope. I was operating one of the combines the fall of 2020, And as I was coming down a slight hill on the first pass, out of the many hours of music on my phone, it randomly selected Handel's Hallelujah Chorus that's played loudly in the cab. My arms went up in thanksgiving as I realized with the amazing crop, with all the neighbors coming and helping, with the community people watching, with the inputs being covered, with how this is going to impact people, this is something bigger than myself. This is the abundant life. And I hope I'm not giving the impression that I have it all together. I certainly don't. It's like hiking over the Rocky Mountains to the Pacific Ocean. A person makes it over one hill and then realizes there's another one ahead, even bigger. In summary, may I suggest to you No aim, no abundant life. Don't know where you're going, what you're doing, or why. No abundant life. And above all, no connection to the shepherd, no abundant life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He is the one who brings this life, the life you step into, the life you get involved in, the life that brings abundance. What does your abundance look like? What is your aim? How could God, through his spirit, lead you into greater abundance? May we step into our own lives and the lives of others more deeply and courageously through the struggles and challenges so that we might find the true happiness and abundance that God has for us. I'd like to leave you 
with a great doxology that I came across reading through the book of Hebrews the other day. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, bow with me. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.